The reading is from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you all. Wonderful day. And a wonderful day to start a new series in the book of James. The Epistle of James. It's going to be seven weeks when um, throughout most of our services on a Sunday we'll be focusing on these passages, life-giving stuff. First question, which you probably know the answer to, is who was James? Well, this isn't James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. This is James, the brother of Jesus. In actual fact, he was probably the eldest of Jesus' four brothers because when in the Gospels, Jesus' brother's names are listed, James is always first, so we take it from that, he was the eldest. But curiously, he didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah while he lived with him. Paul tells us, however, that after the resurrection, tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to James, and that may well be the first time that he believed. 
And he then rose to to become one of the senior leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And we think that this letter was probably one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. And it's written to counter a false premise. And the false premise was this, that because we are saved by faith in Christ alone, it then doesn't matter what we do. Because we're saved by faith in Christ alone, it then doesn't matter what we need to, what we do. But of course it does. So James opens this letter addressing two key things, two causes which can cause you grief, two things which can cause you to give up, to feel defeated, to feel miserable. Verses 2 to 12 of chapter 1, he looks at persevering under trial. And then in the second part, 13 to 18, he looks at temptations and the consequences. Now, last summer, Belinda and I were walking in the Brecon Beacons. And while we were out walking in some newly grown bracken, I nearly put my foot in an enormous cow pad. It was large, perfectly symmetrical, smooth, and still quite moist. And growing up through the middle of this cow fat, Pat, was one very tall strand of bracken. And when I remember that scene, it reminds me of these verses in, one, in James 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, although the image is stuck in my mind, I didn't actually take a photograph of this wonderful cow pat. It's not the sort of thing you do. But I found a similar sort of photograph of a foxglove-type plant growing up through the middle of one. So it helps your imagination. And I want you to think and identify for a moment with this piece of bracken. The hillside was littered with bracken, all basking in beautiful summer sunshine. And as a piece of bracken, you hear the distant beating of hooves that come closer and suddenly stop. And then this one piece of bracken is inundated, swamped, deluged. It has a giant load on its mind. What's this piece of bracken thinking at that moment in time? It might be thinking, everyone else is enjoying the sunshine, why me? I'm submerged. And it's most unpleasant. It's so unfair. What have I done to deserve this? A moment ago, all I could smell was the fresh breeze of the mountain air, and now... You know, life can do that to us. One moment, everything is fine. And the next, we're in trauma. Circumstances can change in the blink of an eye. Our light turns to darkness, our joy to sorrow, our hope to despair. And James would know something of this in his life. Persecution would break out in the early church. And as the leader of that early church, he was right in the firing line. Contemporary accounts suggest that in AD 62, 
James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in an attempt to assassinate him. And while it didn't kill him, they then came after him with clubs and beat him to death. And yet he can write, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So so why, when life has been turned upside down and we are crushed underneath it, should we consider it pure joy? The answer starts to come in verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials and difficulties develop strength and maturity in the believer. So back to my piece of bracken. Eventually, it manages to get its head back above water, so to speak. Once more, it can see sunshine. But something amazing has happened in the meantime. The nutrients from what has been oppressing it have seeped down into the soil. They've strengthened its roots, and now it's being fed and strengthened and is becoming resilient. And this piece of bracken is now standing stronger and higher than all the other pieces of bracken that have just spent their life in the sunshine. God develops your faith through the difficulties, through the suffering, and through the hardship that you experience. And as your faith is developed, so you are able to keep going. And as you keep going, you are able to persevere. And as you persevere, then within you, the beginnings of this sense of joy grow as you become molded and strengthened by God. That's why the most important prayer to pray in those times of difficulty is not just, Lord, take this away from me, but Lord, strengthen me so that I can learn what you're teaching as I go through this. That is a difficult prayer, but it's a revolutionary prayer. It's a life-changing prayer. It's a prayer which echoes something of Jesus in Gethsemane, with tears in his eyes and blood streaming down his face. Not my will, but yours be done. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then in verse 12, he goes on to say, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person receives the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the question for us is, are our trials and difficulties and challenges, challenges, are they driving us away from God, or are they drawing us nearer to him? Are they causing us sorrow, or are they deepening our joy? And in verse 13, James moves on, and he moves on to the issue of temptation. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I was having a bit of a rummage around recently, and I came across an old lobster pot. I nearly brought it in with me this morning, but it's rather large, and it's monstrously heavy. But the purpose of a lobster pot is to lure the unsuspecting crustacean because the bait inside it is so irresistible that it crawls into the pot. The satisfaction of eating that little morsel is short and sweet, but the lobster gets trapped. Eventually, the pot is hauled from the sea, the lobster extracted, and you know the rest. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a moment, and I want you to imagine that you've been employed as a consultant to lobsters. And you've been employed to advise them how not to get caught. What you would want to do is you would want to rewire that lobster so that it no longer desired that little bit of mackerel in the pot. And you'd say to the lobster, change your desires, focus on something else. Maybe that beautiful, healthy sea kelp that grows all around, desire that. It's the lobster's own desire that traps it. If it's not lured into the pot, it's not caught, and it can go on and thrive. And temptation comes when we allow our hearts to be set on those things that God has told us are not good for us. The reason they're not good for us is that they lead to death. When your doctor tells you that your unhealthy eating is not good for you, you listen to them, don't you? After all, it's not them that's going to die. It's you. And God doesn't tempt us. He warns us against temptation. He warns us that it's not good for us. He warns us it will trap us. It will kill us, just like it will kill the lobster. But what Jesus offers us is a heart transplant, a change in our desires, so that our desire is for him and the things of Christ, and not those damaging, harmful indulgences. Temptation doesn't lead to joy. It leads to guilt. It doesn't make us feel good. It separates us from God. That lobster pot doesn't help the lobster lead a long and happy life. Neither does temptation when we succumb. So through trials and through temptations... James's message is fix your eyes on Jesus. Trials and temptations can easily defeat us, can rob us of joy, can take us captive. But in Galatians, Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And we've already sung this morning, we are more than conquerors through Christ. The purpose of life in Jesus is to live in freedom and joy and victory. And the cross stands there and declares 
You are not defeated. You are victorious. One of the most amazing scenes in the book of Acts comes, I think, in chapter 16, when Paul and Silas, having been hauled before the authorities in Philippi for healing a girl of an evil spirit, are flogged severely, thrown into prison, and their feet are shackled, and they're kept in that dark inner cell. And what defined Paul and Silas at that moment? Was it their brutal beating and their bleeding backs? Was it their shackles in that jail? Was it the unjustness of what had happened? Was it being stripped of their freedom? Was it lack of a hearing and lack of justice? Was it the fear of the future? Were they about to be executed? What defined them at that moment? Although all those pains and fears were very real, what defined them that moment was praise for God. We read that at midnight, they were singing praises and rejoicing to God. It's in that darkest place that we see the light. Do your trials and do your temptations define you? Or are you filled with an inexpressible joy and pure joy in the presence of Jesus? Is the joy of the Lord more real to you than the trials and the temptations that surround you? May God give us the joy of the Lord, not because of our circumstances, but in our circumstances. May he strengthen us with his spirit so in those circumstances we thrive and we grow. And may we know and share the joy that Jesus had, the joy that was when it was set before him, because he endured the cross, joy was in his heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, sometimes we go through very difficult days, very difficult circumstances, very difficult periods. Lord, we can see no light and all that consumes us is fear. Lord, we pray that we may know your joy and your presence. And as we go through those times, we may know your strengthening, your equipping, and your maturing, so that we may be fully equipped for the purposes for which you call us. Lord, grant us your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.